Why not this year? I know you're tired of hearing it. You're going to hear it one more time anyway. But after this, you're not going to hear it for a while, maybe. Maybe not. I know you're tired of thinking about getting out of the boat. Then I suggest you just get on out. Because <laughs> as soon as we get on out, then the boat will be so much lighter. And there will be others who are not yet ready to get out of the boat that can get in it until they are ready to get out again upon the waters. How did Jesus live in love? It says in verse 34, one, Love one another as I have loved you. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If we would just risk living and loving like Jesus, our world would be different. I'm not saying all the problems would go away. There will always be people with evil thoughts. There will always be temptations for all of us. But to the degree that we are able to rise above those kinds of things and live with a reckless kind of abandonment and love, we will look like Jesus. Sometimes we forget there was nothing safe about the ministry of Jesus. Nothing. There was nothing about the ministry of Jesus that was for Jesus the man. There was nothing in the life of Jesus, no point ever that he ever said, Father, I just need you to take care of me today, and this is what I want. He never said that. He never loved in that way. He simply said, Father, what would you have me do moment by moment in his life? Now, I know you're thinking, yeah, but I'm not Jesus. Well, you could be a little more like him, couldn't you? Couldn't the church of Jesus Christ be a little bit more like Jesus tomorrow, today, than it has been? Why not? Why not today? Could we not choose at least this day to make every thought in our lives about no one else except others? Not have one thought about ourselves. Maybe even when you go to lunch, you won't eat what you want to eat. I know I just created a problem. Because some of you are going to say, well, where do you want to go eat? Well, I'm not going to say, where do you want to go eat? You just look at a stranger and ask him where you should go eat. You say, well, that would be kind of silly, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would be a little silly. But maybe sometimes in being silly, it might somehow get through our Peter-like heads that the church is not for disciples nearly so much as it is for the people who have not yet been discipled. The church and the disciples were not so much about Jesus as they were for the benefit of all the people in the Israel that would hear and for all the Gentiles who would later hear. It was about others. The hardest thing that the church has found itself trying to do is to really live and love like Jesus. I know it seems so easy. Tertullian, one of the earliest of our church fathers, lived between the years 125 or 35 to 210, 220, according to which uh, historian you want to believe, actually writing and teaching about Christ in a way that aggravated a lot of people. He was so early in his thoughts. He, he was actually the first one to talk about the Trinitarian formula, formula of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in that way. But Tertullian was the one who wrote, according to another father, 
within a hundred years, a little hundred plus years, after these words of John had been written, that he wrote this in his writings. He said, the pagans, not the followers of Christ, not Christians, not the Jesus followers, not people of the way, but the pagans of his land were saying, see how they love one another. Why, they are even ready to die for one another. And that proved out all through the years of martyrdom in the church. That when people would be dying of deadly diseases where it meant your death to care for them, who do you think cared for the remaining bodies that were filled with disease and brought death? Christians who were not unafraid of death. Now, I don't know, they just didn't understand how precious life was. I know life in their day wasn't nearly as valuable as it is in our day. I know they weren't waiting to go home and put their feet up and watch TV and sit in the air conditioner or they'd been a little slower to go to that house, you might think. But somehow, what they wanted was not as important as their love for others. If the church ever dies, it'll be for that one simple reason. We have become who we're trying to save in the name of Jesus. Our lives are mostly for ourselves. Our lives are mostly about the things we like. Our churches are mostly about the things we like in churches. You say, well, I don't know if that's true or not. Well, we're going to make a point of teaching you that next Sunday. I'm not going to talk about it. We're just going to teach it to you. I'm going to give David a list of music for that service. Some of it will be in German. Some in Latin. Some of it will just be enchanting. We'll be faking the sound of a big old pipe organ. No pretty voices. No happy thoughts. No happy words about heaven, just going to kind of mourn along. We're going to feel like we're in the Orthodox Church in Greece. We're going to stand the whole service just because we don't really need to see it. We could just stand to lose a little weight, even be. Because church is not really for us being comfortable, right? It's not important how we sing. We would never get mad about the type of music we had, right? Right? We would never get agitated if the air conditioning wasn't just right. We wouldn't throw rocks at Gary if the chairs weren't set up straight. Or maybe we would. We wouldn't be agitated at somebody else that we lack some kind of comfort in our surroundings. Would we? Us being, you know, as spiritual as we are and all. We would never struggle with the idea of giving up our seat to someone else. Well, I think that's toward the end of my sermon. I better go somewhere else for a while. I think I'm closing, and it's not time to close yet. By this kind of love, people will know, everyone will know, that you are my disciples. Philippians 2.5, have this attitude 
in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then you go on to have the Kenosis passage in Scripture that describes Jesus coming down from heaven and all it meant to be one of the Trinity to take on human form. He stooped to serve humankind out of his love for them. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Paul again writing after Jesus was gone these words. Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Some transition says your reasonable service of worship in light of all you've received. He goes on to say, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the continual renewing of your mind. It's a present tense, continuous action Greek verb. So that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. The renewing and transforming of our mind is an ongoing effort that is never finished as long as we draw earthly breath. Now, right now, I need to ask James and Molly to do something. I need to ask y'all to quit acting so religious. You're young. You've got your whole future ahead of you. I bet they're not paying you squat to go over to state Ireland. I mean, and it'll be cold. It'll, the weather will be bad. There'll be a lot of cloudy days. They'll talk funny. I mean... They will, and they'll act funny some ways. I just don't know. You need to think about that, man. Think about what your friends are doing. Think about the attitude they have about their life. They're not looking for a low-paying job. They're looking for a job that brings them up in the world. You know, this is not going to further your career much at all. You understand that. I just want you, you got that, and you're going to do it anyway, right? You just be really hard-headed people. I don't understand people who'd want to do something like that. I don't understand that. Have this attitude in you, which was in Christ Jesus. It's not easy to figure out exactly what it means to love like Jesus loved in the year 2014. I get that. It's not the same thing. It's never the same thing. It has to be reinterpreted and reapplied in every generation. I get that. I wasn't born yesterday, although I know it looks like it to some of you that I was just born a short while ago. William Barclay, in his New Testament commentaries, said on this passage, John 13, 34, about that kind of love. He used four words to describe it that I'm not going to preach for. It's the cheapest set of commentaries you can buy anywhere. You probably got to set it in your house. You can just look it up. He said it. He wrote it, that this kind of love was selfless. It was sacrificially loving people. It was understandingly loving people. And it was forgivingly loving people. Those are four good points. I especially like the one that's a little different take than some people have. It was understandingly loving people. You say, what does that mean? It means that Jesus looked at you. And even though you are who you are, he loved you understanding that like Jesus, you too would betray him. It means that Jesus was able to look at people before they ever thought about loving him, even while they cast lots for his clothes, even while they spit upon him and stabbed him with spears, and he was able to look at them and forgivingly say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He understood our nature. He understood humanity's nature. 
He didn't require that we all thought perfectly before he loved us. He didn't require that we all have the same kind of personalities or that we sit in the same special kind of class in society. In fact, classism has been, has been a problem since as long as there's been people. We love to divide people up, don't we? Between those who are like us and those who aren't. What do you think all those nobles were about in the old days? Kings, nobles, lords. I just watched a movie you should never watch. Uh, but I watched it. I watched it fairly often. It had been a while. I was moody anyway. So I watched it. Braveheart. I love it. I love that movie. I love the passion of that dumb Scott. He didn't have enough sense to know that he should be treated like every other nobleman, like a free person. But he would not yield his freedom even at the point of death, at the point of torture. Now, there are a lot of things I don't like about Mel Gibson's life, and I'm not talking about Mel Gibson's life. I'm talking about the character he played in Braveheart, Wallace, right? When after all that torture that he'd gone through and they wanted him to recant, he screamed with his last breath, freedom. Hundreds and yes, even thousands of people have just yelled out at their moment of death, Jesus, when they were being killed for believing in him. But now, if the air condition is not exactly right and you need to go home, I understand. I mean, you know, it's pretty uncomfortable being in a building if it's, if it's too warm or it's too cold. You say, how long are you going to do this, preacher? Oh, about another 10 minutes. You see, words like these are meant to become treasures in our hearts and in our minds. The words that Jesus said were like that. And some of them were so simple and so clear. He, Jesus said in different places in John, he said, I want you to have my love. I want you to love one another like I've loved you. I want my joy that's in me to be in you. Your joy to be made full, just like my joy. I want my peace to be your peace. What he had in his relationship with the Father... And his love for the Father and his obedience to the Father was what he wanted all of us to have for others. Because, you see, he had that same kind of commitment and love for them. Even his next-door neighbor who wouldn't mow his yard or plant grass in the rocks, he loved that neighbor. Even that person who stormed the embassy and did evil things, he loved that kind of person. You see, that's the thing about being Christian. There's not room for me to hate those people who probably have taken lives in the name of some God they worship. I can't even hate them anymore. Now, get, don't get me wrong. There was a day when I could. In fact, I could hate them a lot. In fact, I'll admit that every now and then in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, a great big you're invited party in several spots around the world could be held where all these evil people could be invited to a great huge banquet. And then when they all showed up, we could lock the door and turn off the air conditioning. <laughs> I used to really want that to happen in my moments of youthfulness, in my moments of lacking full conversion. And sometimes I have to speak against it now in my own heart, or else I want vengeance. It's so unlike Jesus to be vengeful. I know some of you want to quote the Old Testament to me. Well, good luck with that. 
I'm talking about loving like Jesus loved. It is difficult. I know it's difficult. I know because I know my own heart. I know that I have tendencies in times in my life when I want to deny Jesus. Other times when I want to go to Ireland or even better still seeing you. Thank you, James. Thank you, Molly. Someone else. I remember when I was young, okay, Lord, anything you want with my daughter, but don't send her to Africa to be a missionary. I know she's kind of got that heart, but just be careful here. That's my daughter. She's blonde hair. It just won't work. See how they love one another? Unbelievers proclaimed. They are ready to die for one another. There was not a superficial bone in those early Christians' lives. Now, I know I'm a fanatic at that point. I get it. And I know I'm a preacher and I'm supposed to say that. I get it. But superficial love rarely impresses anyone. It's love that costs us something, that means something to somebody. One of the lessons I've tried to share with young pastors through the years as I've had the privilege of being senior ministers, they didn't always appreciate the lesson, and they don't always still, although in this church, of course, it's not a problem, but sometimes something would come up. Usually somebody would have the audacity to get really sick or to be needing surgery at an awkward hospital at an awkward time of the day. And in order to be there, somebody was going to have to get up in the middle of the night and drive halfway across Texas to be there to pray with him before they had surgery. And as I tell them, now there'll be many of them who tell you, don't come, it's too early. And they sort of mean that, sort of. And you'll be tempted not to do it because after all, you'll be lying in your bed looking at your family and you'll be tired from the day before and you won't want to give up sleep just to go stand there and pray before they go into surgery and then to wait outside perhaps with their spouse for three and a half hours while they have that surgery. You've got so many other important things to do. But if you go and if you pray and if you stay and if you give of yourself in a way that's sacrificial, that family will never, ever forget your name when you're gone or wherever you are because they will know when you said, I love you, you meant it. That's what they'll know because your love for them will cost you something. And if you don't want to do that, you need to call the bishop because you're either going to change or you're in the wrong house to do work in this place. Because that is the way that I do ministry. And I don't want you not doing it because it will make you look so bad. So do it when it's your turn. When I was younger, I just did it all myself. Smaller congregation, right? Now sometimes I'd get fooled. How'd you get fooled, Doug? People wouldn't tell me they were going for surgery. I used to spend a lot of time scolding them for that. I thought, you don't think you need my prayers? You might need them more than you think. You don't think your spouse needs somebody to sit with them? If something goes wrong, after sitting for no telling how many heart casts, nothing really happened at them. People got well. Procedure got more and more commonplace until it didn't for Miss Campbell. They did the heart cath, but it went wrong. And she died in that room three hours later. They couldn't fix it. 
I was there. Didn't need to be there, preachers. Just, you know, it's just this kind of test they run. Yeah, it's that test where they run a foreign object into your heart. And every now and then when they do something like that, it is your opportunity to meet Jesus soon as in immediately. And if nobody is there for that person left behind, who is the church anyway? Youth pastors, I'm meddling, and I'm overtime. I know you got a lot of youth to follow, and I know you can't follow them all, just so you're following some of them all the time. You can't go to every game. You can't go to every recital. You can't be every place they can be, but regularly you can be. It'll be enough for them to know that you're moving it around who you can go and be with. It'll be enough for them to know that their youth pastor cares about them. Because if you're not there when they need you, if you're not there when the children need you, if you're not there for the ones who are visiting, for the ones who are trying out the church, then you're just not there. I can't close now. I know I'm late, but you took some of my time baptizing all this other stuff we did, so I'm taking it back. Because <laughs> this is the last time I get to preach on this topic for a while. What does this such a life of love look like? It has to do with our motives, with our attitudes, and with our approach to life. With our purpose. What does it look like locally in a church body as a body of believers? It means you must cross the room. You say, what do you mean? Let me ask you this. Who are you sitting with front and back and beside you? Probably your spouse, but who else? How close did you sit to those people last week? The week before? The week before that. When you went to donut time this morning, did you talk to all the people you know well or the ones you like best? Or did you talk to people you didn't know well, the ones you don't know as well as others in the church? Did you talk to the person you thought might actually be visiting? Did you cross the room in order to greet them and tell them your name and then invite them to sit with you in case they didn't have anybody to sit with? Or did you get in a hurry to claim your seat in the sanctuary? We're going to do an experiment. These seats are not exactly like your seats out there. Let's see. You know, it's not really any different than those two chairs. The only difference in your chairs is who's sitting with you, who's worshiping with you, who you're rubbing elbows with. When you look at your Sunday school class, is it the same people you've been seeing in there for 25 years? Then thank God, and then ask God, where are the ones that are supposed to be in there also? And then do the hard work. Have we had people come to our class who really never got included have we had them come in and they tried to be a part of our class, but they, we, let, we were glad to have them there. We, we just didn't know how to show it. We just didn't know how to invite them to our home, to church afterwards for lunch. Somebody's going to get a free lunch today after this is over. You, you know, there are people, churches like, that just, they, they come for themselves. 
And there's nothing wrong with coming to worship God and be with God. Don't hear me wrong. But there is something wrong when we exclude the stranger in our midst. And I know most of the time it's unintentional. But you know what? Unintentional sin is like intentional. It's still sin. Did you know that? Did you know that churches don't grow when they're not spreading themselves out? We're fixing to reform our small groups. And I know some of you need to stay together. I doubt seriously that all of you need to stay together. Some of you have already said all that you really know to each other in the last two years. I know I've talked to you. It won't take you, you know. I know. You've already given it your best shot. But somebody else doesn't know what you think about Jesus. They don't know how you interpret your faith. They don't know how you live. I know it's tempting to stay right where you are. I get that. I'm in the same way. I have to sit over here in case I'm messing up. One of those people tell me. But the rest of you don't have to sit where you're sitting. You know, really, we should sit you according to height. All the short people sit on front. All the taller people sit in the back. Yeah, if we did that, that would, be, that would help. But that would help you see better. But I know you like to worship with your family. And look, even the youth. You know, even the youth. Yeah, everybody knows I love the youth. But a lot of them sit together, especially if they're in the youth group or they're Wednesday, right? And it's cool because everybody can find you that way. But what would happen if you divided into thirds? And next week, a third of you sat one place, a third of you sat in another, and a third of you sat somewhere else. And those people had to sit over here. They'd be the ones that got my, my short sermons to them. See, not you. There's something to be said for that sometimes. What would happen if we walked across the room or across the street and met our neighbors? What would happen if we actually threw open every church event to the public? I don't mean just say, we all come, you know you're welcome. I mean, we show them we're welcome. I mean, we give them a book and we pay for it. I mean, we feed them when they arrive and we pay for it. We clean up afterwards. I mean, we treat them like we're a servant and treat them like a guest. I mean, we go all out to let them know that we are thrilled to death because we have the chance to love them. Now, I'm not talking about foaming and uh, spitting all over them because we love them so much. I'm not talking about making them feel awkward or strange. I'm just talking about being open and friendly and loving to everybody you meet. I'm just talking about you being what you want to be, but you don't want to get out of your boat. And I'm not talking about Carrollton, Texas only. I'm talking about the United Methodist Church. I'm talking about almost every Presbyterian church I know. I'm talking about every Episcopal church I know, probably, and every Roman Catholic church I know. I'm talking about some Baptist churches I know. I know they like to make you think they're not that way, but trust me, most of them are. They've got their groups, and they love their groups. And I know you love your groups, too. Who's mad? Have I made anybody mad yet? By now, I'll be making somebody mad. Because you say, well, you won't make me change. Well, I love a lot of people, and a lot of them aren't here. They're not going to get here unless we get out of our boat. I know you're thinking, but I can't share with them because I don't know them well, and we haven't been the same road together. It would be too much vulnerability for me to tell somebody else who won't think like I think about what I love about Jesus. It was too much vulnerability for Jesus too. In the end, it caused somebody to stick a spear in his side 
Thankfully, he was already dead. It did. It caused people to throw rocks at him and to spit him and to embarrass him in front of his mother. But you see, he loved them so much, he just didn't worry about it. I believe in you because so many of you know Christ at such a unique level. I just know that you need to learn how to tell other people who don't where they are with understanding that you love them too. You have to understand they don't haven't been where you've been. You can't bowl them over with Jesus the first five minutes you meet them and get anywhere. You've got to love them first by the things that make them feel loved. By the way, if you're visiting with us today, I'm sorry, kind of. Uh, but look at it this way. It might be easy for you to do this if you haven't been here before. It's hard for them. So help them out and just go up to them and introduce yourself to them and say, you know, I'm a stranger here, but my name is so-and-so. If they're not doing it to you, embarrass them and tell you that their name today. If you can get within a mile of any church member and you have to say your name first, shame on you, every one of you church members. If anybody here you don't know, you say, well, if, what if they are a member and I just don't know them? Well, then you'll know they're a member too, just like you. Even if they sit on the other side of the sanctuary, same church, right? All these paths we sign in, they all go to the same place. You're all members of this church. But I'm betting some of you don't know others of you very well. I know I'm through. I know that. But it's so much fun when I feel better. I still got 10 minutes, and one of my friends from the past is going to join the church, so we need to sing, and I need to be quiet. Let's see if I've missed anything I really want to say. Just this last thing. Why not this year? Why not just make up your mind to make your love cost you something? No superficial love. Bleed for somebody else. Bleed for them. Let it cost you your money. Let it cost you your time. Let it cost you to risk telling them how much you love Jesus in a way that they can understand it. So if you're talking to a child that's this tall, you'll speak one way. If you're talking to an adult that's this tall, but is terrified of church, you'll say it another way. And they'll both know they've been loved. Can you do that? Will you do that? God in heaven, help us to be like your son. Forgive us when we deny you and renew us to once again every day make the decision when we wake up to pray, Lord, help me out of the boat today.